the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like a top of me. We are here for what has become our weekly installments with Dr. Jerome Corsi. The reason that we have these weekly installments on his new book, The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change, is because this is a work that needs to be digested, needs to be talked about, and it needs to be dissected so that the reader understands exactly how much information is here. This is the handbook in combating the misinformation, the hyper-scare tactics of the Marxist mafia members pretending to be Democrats. So that's why we have these weekly installments. So I wanted to get Dr. Jerome on one more time to kind of go into some chapters that I'm reading and that I want him to uh, go through for you, the audience. This is crucially important because the information is absolutely fantastic. Now, I wanted to touch upon, before we get into part three, the economics of energy, global warming, and climate change, I wanted to Go over chapters 7 and 8, but really 8, the chaos theory of climate change. I find this to be very interesting, Doctor, and I was hoping that maybe you could take some of the listeners through this. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, what chapter 7 covers is really the beginning of this, which is the idea that, you know, this uniformitarianism, which is a geological theory that the Earth changes very slowly, is not the way the Earth works entirely. There's really... The opposite of uniformitarianism, which is catastrophism. In other words, there are catastrophic events that make a massive impact on Earth. They happen unpredictably, generally, and these are the types of, ch- of Im- Earth impacts, the cataclysmic changes that change Earth suddenly. Now, again, it's kind of like they say when you, you know, about the army. It's hurry up and wait. The army is <laughs> lots of boredom with ordinary activities. Um, interrupted by a couple of minutes of absolute terror in combat. A few minutes or whatever period of time combat is, quick, catastrophic, huge impact, all the rest is just boring routine. Get, get things in order, follow orders, do what you're told, etc., but not exciting, not dramatically changing. So Chapter 8 gets into some of all of these different changes, and essentially... What it says is that the even the mathematics of Earth are catastrophic in nature. Okay, so I, I take up the work of this a meteorologist whose name was Lorenz. He was a mathematician, uh, and he, <clears throat> as a department of um, meteorology at MIT in the 1960s, he had a very early desktop computer, okay. and he made a a model of the 
climate to try to predict the future weather and climate patterns of the Earth. And he had it running, and he decided one day while it was running, he would stop it for a minute and make the numbers in it, the measurements of temperature, the measurements of the various variables he was using, rounded off to the nearest decimals, because these big decimal points were slowing down the machine. So he did that, and he went off, turned the machine back on, with the rounded off numbers, and went and had a cup of coffee. When he came back, the model was producing dramatically different reclusions. The patterns were altogether completely different. Hmm. And what he realized was a fundamental mathematical principle, which is that small differences, decimal points, decimal points that are very, very, you know, the hundredth decimal point, mm-hmm. when you're doing repetitive calculations, makes a huge difference in the outcome. In other words, in weather, temperature, any measurement on Earth, we can't get precise measurements, no matter how good our instruments are, because not all numbers in mathematics are rational. Some, like pi, the relationship of cer- the circumference of a circle to its diameter, have infinite numbers of decimal points because it can't be divided evenly. It just goes on and on and on. So that means that all measurements on Earth are wrong if they, you know, the Earth doesn't operate by decimal points. It means every one of these mathematical models of the of climate um, is biased by the way the scientist creates it, because the truth is weather, you can't predict better than a couple of days, and that's even tough. The best prediction for what's the weather going to be tomorrow is what's it doing today. This is a now, fantastic you know, that's point. That's not reliable. Well, this so is a fantastic the, point that people need to be aware of. A good weatherman. We have what is arguably one of the best. Um, right here, Tom Skilling. He is a professor at Columbia University. He's considered to be one of the most accurate weathermen, and he's only right 50% of the time. Yet we are allowing these, these predictors of, of, of catastrophic collapse to guarantee that bad things are going to happen, yet they can't get tomorrow right. This should be a breaking point for people of all education levels to say, wait a minute, how are you coming to these conclusions? And instead of answering these questions, they just triple down and skip over it. I, I, I think this is where we need to make our stand. It is an important point. Because the IPCC, the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change for the UN, says if we have a very small amount of carbon dioxide increase in the atmosphere, it will produce a predictably known increase in temperature of the Earth, which will then be catastrophic. Okay, now, first of all, the Earth system doesn't operate that way. It doesn't mean that, you know, we throw X amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere in one period, and we throw Y in the next time, so the cumulative effect is X plus Y amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. No. And it's an interactive system. Some of that carbon dioxide might get absorbed out. It doesn't necessarily build in a, what they would call, linear equation, perfectly predictable way. These equations are nonlinear. The variables can be the same variables, you run the model one time, it turns out one way. You run it the next time, it turns out a different way because the variables with different values produce different dramatic results. Okay, and so it's another fundamental reason why the IPCC's predictions are not real climate science. They're just scare tactics. 
How do we get to a point where these people, based on this wrong formula, ridiculous calculations, and outlandish predictions, who proved themselves to be wrong for 70 years, are yet somehow changing, completely changing, the way in which we operate even our minute economy? This is surreal to me. One of the points of my book is it's a lot easier to believe bad science or bad anything, you know, Hitler, tell a big lie. Uh, People seem to believe those better than the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. The truth is hard. It takes study. It takes deep thinking. It takes distinctions. And and people, you know, get into these crazes like uh, these women are bewitched by the devil. We've got to go kill them because they're witches. Well, that was a huge craze in the Middle Ages. And the chaos theory is what's used to skew perspective because one thing that is constantly under attack is the perspective of the of the citizen of the uh of the urgency and this is part of this whole chaos movement that they have going on and i'm looking for one of these you know to me every single chapter in this book is another reason to deny their predictions let alone the reality that they've continued to be wrong on and this explains why they're wrong. They're using skewed scales, but more importantly, they're using wrong formulas. And this proves this. Right. I mean, the fundamental mathematics of the global warming movement are, are totally flawed. They don't work. Now, I go into some examples of that. I try to illustrate that with the extinction of the dinosaurs, which occurred about 65 million years ago. Now, first of all, I point out there was a huge asteroid that hit in the Yucatan, in the Gulf of Mexico, 65 million years ago. It was massive. I give you the size, the dimensions. It's been proven. It caused tsunamis all the way up to North Dakota. You can right now watch the Discovery Channel. There are, are scientists in North Dakota that are finding the strata of the rock from the day of the uh, that asteroid hitting 65 million years ago. They're finding dead fish with wood through them that skewed them and this huge uh, throwing up of Earth from this uh, and, and jolt to the Earth from this asteroid hitting. That was one impact. And the second time, there was a thousand years or more of volcanic activity going out on in India. that was throwing huge amounts of sulfur oxide into the air, which blocked the sun and was essentially ending photosynthesis. You know, the, the producing green plants on Earth. The dinosaurs ate plants. And so with the this winter cause of the no sun being blocked out from these volcanoes, at the same time this comet is hitting, you know, the dinosaurs were largely jolted and killed in the in the hit of the combat of the of the asteroid and then also lacked their food because of the catastrophe going on in the volcanoes in India. Okay. To make that not enough I think there's very good evidence that the Earth expanded dramatically in size in the at the end of the uh, 65 million years ago, uh, because this idea that we have the, on the plate tectonics at all the one point in you know way ancient history, all the continents were together in one landmass, and all the oceans were in one big ocean, and the land masses began to break up and move apart. That's plate tectonics. Mm-hmm. If that happened, the the mass of land is much greater than the mass of water. 
but yet water takes up 70% of the Earth's space. So if, if all the water were together and all the land, and what, the, the center of mass of the planet for its axis of rotation would not coincide with the actual axis of rotation. The planet would spin out of control. I think what happened is that the Earth was smaller, and the <clears throat> what happened is it popped up from the size of a tennis ball to the size of a softball. The fuzzy parts became the continents. And the evidence for this is that the sea bottoms uh, do not date back into ancient prehistoric time beyond 65 million years. The seabeds of the oceans have an earlier ge geological history than the continents. And these are fundamental indications that we had massive cataclysmic change. The dinosaurs didn't die in a day. It may have taken them 10 million years to die. And the species that went first were the bigger species, because in a larger, expanded Earth, and the, the gravity would have been greater, because the mass would have been greater. Gravity is a function of mass. And these creatures would not have been able to move around and live as big as they were in a greater gravitational sphere. We don't, you know, go to a museum, look at a dinosaur skeleton. We don't have animals that big on Earth anymore yeah. because our gravity changed dramatically in the scope of geological history. This is the kind of catastrophes that produce extinctions, not just you know, a few more parts per million of carbon dioxide being put into the atmosphere. This is an astonishing, you know, uh, perspective that so many people do not get. And it goes to show you the infinitesimal effect we have and this new play that we somehow are going to create some behavioral condition that will change things. It's just preposterous when you have the proper perspective, is it not? It is because, look, human beings have been here, humanoids, maybe 10 million years. Okay, the Earth is 4.6 billion years. The Earth had nothing really living on the surface of the Earth for 80% of its history. In the entire uh, pre-Cambrian period, the Earth's surface was not habitable. All the changes with life come in this Cambrian explosion, which began about 500 million years ago. And the carbon dioxide content of the Earth was massive in geologic time at the beginning of the Earth. By 500 million years ago, carbon dioxide began reducing in the atmosphere of the Earth. It was um, 170 million years ago, it was about 7,500 parts per million in the atmosphere. Today, 175 million years later, that's the real time series trend, it's dramatically reduced. There's only 400 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's about 0.04%, which is a trace element, barely measurable. Uh, carbon dioxide was much greater during many of the ice age cycles. And they've been going on, and again are a function of the intensity of the sun. These Milankovitch cycles, which is the orbital path of the Earth, is elliptical. It gets from going circular, goes elliptical. At the most elliptical, like an egg, the most elliptical, the Earth is farthest from the sun that it will ever be, and that creates the ice ages because there's less sun on Earth. Sun is the major driver of temperature on Earth. You know, sun heats Earth, and it is not carbon dioxide that causes heat. If it did, we wouldn't have had intense, much greater carbon dioxide in the atmosphere during the ice ages than we do today. 
we're just the latest creatures walking around the surface of the Earth. The Earth does not design its temperature to suit us. We just got here. The dinosaurs were here for 100 million years. The Earth didn't care about producing temperature conducive to the dinosaur or preventing cataclysmic events from occurring that happened to the dinosaurs. This is a chaotic place, and uh, we are fundamentally a detailed Earth. And this argument was so ridiculous. One of my favorite parts of uh, of the book is how you articulated completely changed the philosophy of Patrick Moore, uh, co-founder of Greenpeace. He uh, listened to this misinformation, and it completely changed uh, the way in which he took the approach of the mission. Um, and this is something that gets no coverage. He has been railing against the scare tactics of the Marxist mafia for at least 15 years that I know of, maybe longer. Um, there is hope when you see this kind of transformation, and it is through the, only through the knowledge that you're giving and the fact of science itself, maybe we have some hope in getting formally um, um, people who viewed themselves to be collectivists onto the side of righteousness. I'm hoping when you see somebody like uh, Dr. Moore um, move forward on this, are you optimistic with everything you're seeing? Well, I mean, Dr. Moore, <laughs> the original environmental movement, he was an environmentalist, yeah. which is, you know, properly founded. We are stewards of the earth. We shouldn't destroy the earth. We shouldn't pollute it. There's things that we shouldn't do. We can burn hydrocarbon fuels that are natural to the earth. Again, we should burn them cleanly, and we can. But the point is that this environmental movement got captured by the neo-Marxists. They decided to demonize carbon dioxide unfairly because carbon dioxide is emitted by hydrocarbon fuels. If the neo-Marxists can get rid of hydrocarbon fuels, they know they will reduce the population of the world. They will reduce everyone to basically starvation and or at least to live a much lower standard of life. I mean, you know, you've got Bill Gates in the world talking about us, be okay if we ate bugs. And, you know, this is okay with these people. Of course, they don't want to eat bugs. They don't want themselves to be eliminated. There's too many people, meaning there's too many of us, not too many of them. Bill Gates still intends to be flying around in his private jet. But the point I'm making is this. I don't know. I wrote my book because I thought I could explain legitimate climate science and the legitimate corruption of the environmental movement by neo-Marxism, by the AOCs of the world for political purposes. And if people would read it, maybe we could wake some people up. It may be too late. And right now my book is getting suppressed. I, I'm not going to be on television. I don't get the, uh, you know, this, the this whole neo-Marxist agenda has become so totalitarian, they block out in the media anybody's message it contradicts their own, and they will not tolerate debate. So I'm being censored in this book. You, you will only hear about my book, this, Sean, on shows like yours. So you're not being invited even on Fox News? No, Fox wouldn't have me. I'm. Th- this is astonishing to me, because this to me isn't about any one person. This to me is about the greatest threat to civilization and true prosperity and, and the American progress, the real progress. And this is the evidence we need to combat the misinformation. Ironically, the misinformation is the one with all of the authority and all of the promotion behind it. And uh, I thought Fox was the alternative. And, um, you know, I, I, I say Fox. I know, listen, we have our own network here. Uh, Salem is, is, is growing in that space and trying to do the best they can. And, uh, but it's really monopolized. 
And you see why it's monopolized, because even the one that promotes that, okay, we're going to combat the the Marxist mafia, I, I can't believe they wouldn't have you, especially some of the, um, you know, there are a few good hosts on that show, on that station. I'm, I'm, I'm mortified. And uh, how is the book doing in sales? Well, I mean, the, the book, especially with the interviews uh, on radio, like yours, uh, the book is actually doing much better than I thought it would do. I mean, it's, it is leading in certain categories. If I had media, if I had television, if I had anybody being willing to be open to this message, this could be a number one New York Times bestseller. But if nobody knows about the book, which is the intent of the global warming crowd, they want to censor. You know, they tried to imprison me with Mueller, with the Mueller investigation. Yeah. Because, I remember. Because you know, I wouldn't lie uh, to say that Russian collusion was true to put Donald Trump in, in jail. I said, we ought to put me in jail. They did not indict me. I didn't lie. I told them their Russian collusion theory was all bunk. It was. And you were proven, you were vindicated. History vindicated right. you, and yet where do you go to get your reputation back? This is not the first time you've had to deal with this. However, what you keep doing is what's important. And you, in this book, you give a thousand footnotes you quote other scientists you go over math you go over fact you go over data arguably data that wouldn't make you very popular in the circles uh, of religious uh, arguments i mean you're basically saying the earth is tens of millions if not billions of years old this is right in the face of a lot of people who are embracing the information because the information is unarguable you're not going to argue with this um and and there's a reason to suppress it because if they suppress it and if enough people get to get to thinking and have some sort of perspective, they may wake up and see that um, we really don't even have a media outlet that isn't in on the collectivist government control of the society. That's the only way I could see it. The media blockout, especially in television, uh, there's, and print media, I, I won't, you won't read about my book in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, they won't review it. It'll be ignored, because by ignoring it, they hope people don't know about my book, it'll be suppressed. No one will read it. They don't have to deal with people awakening. Remember, this is the first of my three books I'm planning to write. But the second one, almost written, calling it the Great Awakening Theory. And once you read what I've written in this book in the science, I think, Sean, you'll agree it's game-changing. Your whole oh, framework it, changes. You know, I mean, I've got a lot of stuff to do. And what do I do? I always say, let's get Dr. Corsi on, because every, you know, I, I go through a couple chapters a week. And every time I go through another chapter, I'm, I, 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 I'm more convinced how much of what they're telling us is an absolute fabrication, a complete lie. And I think they know it. And there's no way to not have this competing opinion unless it's an absolute censor blackout. And, you know, I'm starting to see it. I mean, you know, this show, although I want to help you the most I can, we're not on YouTube. I was thrown off YouTube. Personally, I was thrown off Twitter. I believe the station... Um, still has this on Facebook. However, they black out from time to time. They pick something we say that they don't like. It's truly like a modern version of the Soviet Union. I heard a, uh, my friend in the morning, he said, no, we still have the rule of law and we still have the principles. Yeah, but they're nothing if you don't abide by them. And we are sitting in a time in the year 2022 when the government who has been proven wrong on every level and now is using this false science of global warming and climate change as a weapon against our very freedom, they're winning, and it's making me sick to my stomach. So that's why I love this idea that you took the book out, or that you wrote the book, and it's out. At least it's out. Well, you know, they, they have their 
trying to imprison me was a nightmare. And I, you know, through the grace of God, I got through that. And they did not. They didn't even indict me, despite everything they did to rule my life, the federal government, the Mueller investigation. And so, I mean, what else are they going to do to me? I'm going to, I'm resolved to tell the truth, whether people like it or not, and to explain the science, to explain, and if I'm, if I'm wrong, disagree with me. I'll argue it. But, you know, I think if you read the book, it's so eye-opening, it's so threatening to their agenda that the global warmers know if, if the public gets the truth, they're going to be laughed at because the idea that carbon dioxide is going to create catastrophic global warming has no basis in science. And the true, I mean, it is a trace element that can barely be measured is not what they call the thermometer, the, you know, the, the turning knob on the thermometer of the Earth. It's I'm nonsense. No, but what I am curious about, um, when Ukraine bombs three oil refineries in Russia and one gas refinery, does that affect the climate, doctor, in your experience of all of your studies? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> nothing, none of that does because... Well, maybe that's why they keep doing it, because obviously they want to compare my my uh, German-made cabrio uh, with uh, with destroying the earth, and I have to drive one of these cell phones with wheels, and they're, in good conscience, blowing the hell out of everything else. Well, the, um, I mean, clearly, uh, the Ukraine has been one of the oil-rich areas of the world for a long time. It was one of the reasons the Soviets and the Nazis you know, coveted control of Ukraine in World War II. Yeah. And Germany had very little oil and plenty of coal. As I point out, the German chemists in the Weimar Republic were the ones who figured out the, the natural processes, the chemical formulas whereby hydrocarbon fuels are formed in the mantle of the earth, Fischer-Tropsch equation. And Germany produced synthetic petroleum products, synthetic aviation flew for the Nazi airplanes, uh, synthetic diesel fuel for the tanks, synthetic gasoline for the cars, converting coal. And uh, we bombed. I went and got the, all this material out of the National Archives. We got the formulas. I got. I wrote a book on the bombing of these fisher Trops processes, the great uh, oil conspiracy, I called it. That was my second book on this topic. My first was Black Gold Stranglehold, 2005, when I showed that... Uh, Hydrocarbon fuels were natural, not fossil fuels. The second book I showed how the Nazis created these fisher troughs process and were surviving on synthetic oil. You know, even in the Battle of the Bulge at the end of World War II, the Nazis had plenty of tanks. They just ran out of fuel because they had no more diesel fuel. We had bombed all their synthetic plants. We had cut off their fuel supply and chemical supply. That's what, that's what ultimately defeated the Nazi war machine. And, and people, again, are not aware of these facts. And that's why you should wear your censorship as a badge of honor, because these documents that you're talking about, that you've revealed, have been in the government and in circulation since the end of World War II. They've been stifled. This information is stifled, and it's for a simple reason. It's for control of the most important sector of any economy, the energy sector. And what your book reveals is, number one, they're all wrong. Number two, they're lying openly and knowingly because they like the control. And this is the part that they cannot afford citizens, not just in America, 
citizens around the world to have this information that what they've been telling us from everything about oil to natural gas to all of it, it's all a lie. And if they block the book so nobody knows about it, you can't read a book you don't know about. That's why I'm glad I got it. And my favorite copy is that I had it before everybody. I want everyone to know I had the advanced copy, so I'm very proud of that. I'm also very proud to have you come on my show and talk about what I think is one of the most, if not the, most important books in the last 50 years. I truly believe it. I think it's a fantastic book. Everyone needs to go buy it. It's the truth about energy, global warming, and climate change. His name is Dr. Jerome Corsi. And by the way, for you truckers out there, you can buy it on Audible as well. I highly, highly recommend it, even though I didn't read it. We'll work on that for the next one, though. Right, Dr. Jerome? I'll be, and I commend you, Sean, <laughs> for being willing, you know, your open mind, your willingness to to, to make this known. And uh, your show is important. Don't don't for a minute minimize. I consider it to be important, one of my very few outlets, and I am deeply grateful and honored to be on oh, your show. As long as I'm here, you'll always do it. And you know why I do it, Doctor? I had four uncles that fought in World War II. They all lived. One in particular fought at, uh, he invaded Normandy and the Battle of the Bulge, and he would tell me about the tanks. He would tell me about how strong it was and how unlikely we were to win and how it was always an issue of how much just equipment they had, how strong they were. This book sheds a light onto exactly why. They had something we didn't have, the understanding of how to fuel those machines. We're blessed we won, but in the end, if we all start acting like the government they dreamt of, then we really didn't win. We just put off losing for a while, and I refuse to accept that. So I appreciate you putting up the fight. Thank you very much, Dr. Jerome Corsi. I truly appreciate you. My great pleasure. I appreciate you as well. Thank you, Sean. We'll talk to you next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.